Uh, we're talking uh, in Matthew chapter 5, where uh, our, seri- our, our theme this year is roots. And we're uh, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, chapters 5 through 7. We're start- we've started with the Beatitudes. We got through the first two. And uh, quite honestly, today is, third Beatitude is like the most difficult one, right? It's the one that, especially men, we have a real problem with. You know, the poor in spirit, we can all see that. We talked about mourning and understand that. But man, now we come to where Jesus said, blessed blessed are the meek. Maybe your translation says the humble. And that's tough. That's the tough one. So I hope this morning, and I pray, and my prayer has been, as I've been preparing for this, is that our hearts, not just our hearts, but our minds will be open to this, uh, this teaching of Jesus. It's in, the one thing we have to realize is it's in the same line of teachings of all the other Beatitudes. It was part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the very first things that Jesus taught in his public ministry. So in our lives, it's got to be very important. And I think the reason it's so, misun- so, it's so dreaded by so many is because I think it's so misunderstood what it means to be meek as a follower of Jesus. So let's go ahead and stand as we read our text, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, if you will. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You may be seated. The word blessed there uh, can also be translated happy, and it it carries the idea, as we've said every week, to be happy, happier, or supremely blessed to to be well off. We've said that to be blessed here in the way Jesus talks about it is uh, to be blessed, uh, to be wealthy in happiness, to be wealthy in happiness, to be overjoyed with happiness. You ever had those strings in life where it just seems like God's pitching a perfect game for you? Everything, I mean, every time you turn around, there's a new blessing from God. Everything is just going right. When you hang on to those, it helps through those times where things are not always on top of the world. Now we've covered the first two. We talked about the poor in spirit, and we said that being poor in spirit realizes that we have a great need for God. And that's where it all has to start. If you're here, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. If you're watching us online, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. That's where a walk with Jesus begins. Understanding that you have a great need of something to fill the void in your life. As C.S. Lewis said, uh, we all have a God-shaped hole. And Jesus died on the cross to fill that void, that emptiness in our lives. But then, after, you accepted, after you've accepted Christ as your Savior, there's still a void of purpose for most of us. And we have to understand that there's a great need 
for Jesus to fill our lives with purpose. And that's what all these Beatitudes are about. They're all about your relationship with God and then how that relationship develops relationships that are functional and active and fruitful with others. The second one we just finished up last week was happier those who mourn. Not only those who have great need, but understand, just like the song we just sang, Reckless Love, we know and understand that we have great brokenness and that we can't put ourselves back together. That it's Jesus that will fix our brokenness. So today brings us to number three, happy are those who are meek. And let me, let me, let me take it down another step. What Jesus is teaching here is the amazing importance of great submission. That's even better for us guys, isn't it? Listen, I'm not looking to start a fight in the home or anything, but um, for those of you who grew up in fundamental churches, Baptist churches, that whole submission thing was always preached towards the women, right? It wasn't really preached towards the men. Yet Jesus said in his very first sermon that those who understand they have a great need of submission in their lives are incredibly happy, overflowing with happiness, amazingly blessed and rich in happiness. Honestly, I believe meekness is probably the most understood, understated, and overstated beatitude here on the list. No one wants to be called meek, right? Nobody wants to be called meek. Why? Because it makes people think of weak. I remember when I was a teenager, we had a speaker come in at a youth rally and he said, meek is not weak. And that's always stayed with me. Meek is not weak. We have to understand what meekness truly means, what it truly means to be submissive in this, uh, in this text, in, in the contrast, in, in the, the concept of what Jesus was teaching. Meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. The idea for the follower of Jesus is one of submission to the will, purpose, and plan of God. I hope this is starting to take shape for you. It's not that we're to, supposed to be doormats. You know, uh, everybody, everybody, when they get to the peacemaker, blessed are the, pe blessed are the pe peacemakers, people always want to, like, yes, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. All right, but Jesus also flipped over the tables in the temple. All right? So we have to kind of, uh, rather than just take things for what they seem to be as we look at them first, we really have to dig in and find out what it is that Jesus is trying to teach us here. And understanding that meekness is our submission to the will, the purpose, and the plan of God is a great place to start. In the dictionary, the opposite of meekness is defined as egotistical, proud, stubborn, and domineering. Now we're starting to dig in a little bit more, right? To be a meek follower of Jesus is to not be stubborn towards the will of God and not be domineering 
when it comes to serving in the will of God. In the times of Jesus, and this is why, I, I think this is why it was so applicable and such a, a revolutionary concept that Jesus was preaching here. In the time of Jesus, meekness meant that uh, you truly had nothing. <laughs> the meek were the lowest in society. They were the poorest in the economy. They were the weakest in legality. And they were the voiceless in government. They were the powerless in military might. That's who the meek were in Jesus' time. Especially in Israel because the Jews had been overtaken by the Romans. And they had no power at all. They, they were told what to do by the Roman government constantly. Jesus preached this sermon at a time when brute force ruled the land and criminal activity yielded big money. Think about it. The, their own people, Matthew, the guy that we're reading about, right, the guy that we're reading from right here, he was a tax collector. A tax collector was one of the lowest forms of life in the Jewish community because they didn't just collect the taxes that the Romans demanded. If they wanted to make any money, they raised your taxes on their own and they took the difference. Yet, Jesus used this class of people, the meek, to teach us how to unlock the greatest blessings and the most fruitful life imaginable. When Jesus says, happy are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, what he's saying is, you will inherit all the blessings, you will inherit all the goodness of my favor. You will inherit, you will be blessed with happiness and you will be blessed with fruitfulness in ministry. Your relationships will be solid. Your relationships will be functional. Isn't that, isn't that one of the greatest things? If you, can, if you can count on your hands the functional relationships you have in your life, as a Christian, you're a blessed person, aren't you? You're a happy person. Because nowadays, I, I just I read an article this week that it's not unfriending on Facebook that's popular right now. It's cutting people out of your life completely. Defriending your friends. I, I don't understand that kind of logic. But So if you have five, and by the way, if somebody, if somebody just wants to defriend you, just walk away from your relationship, that relationship probably wasn't as strong as you thought it was. Okay? And we're going to be looking at meekness uh, for the next two weeks uh, from two different perspectives. First of all, what we're going to talk about today, what meekness is, and then next week we're going to look at what meekness does, how meekness has an effect in our, not just our lives, but our lives, our relationships, and our ministry opportunities, how we serve together. And let's be honest. Most of us, unless you're family here, right, with somebody in the church, most of us wouldn't know each other if it was not because of church, right? We would not come together. We wouldn't see each other. We, some of us probably never would have met had it not been for the church. Most of us are from different backgrounds. Most of us have different experiences in life. Uh, some were raised in 
nuclear, traditional nuclear families with a solid foundation. Others, and we were raised in church all our lives. Others came to Christ as adults and had uh, maybe a, a, rough, a rough life. Some of us have been married more than once. Some of us, um, you know, we've just, we just have different experiences. We're in different kinds of jobs. Some of us like sports. Some of us have no need for sports. Um, I didn't say anything. I didn't, I did, I did not say anything, man. I, I didn't say a word. Although, although since it was brought up, the Rams did win the Super Bowl. That was actually my next point, but just kidding. I was li- in fact, I was listening to a radio uh, sports talk uh, yesterday, and they were, they were amazed. They were amazed that a certain percentage of American homes were not watching the Super Bowl because it's such a big event. But some people have no, no use for sports. They have no desire to watch sports, and it's just not that big of a deal for them. And that's, that's great if that's, if that's the way people are. My point is this. The church brings together people from all different backgrounds, from all different situations in life, all different experiences. Some of us, we've worked with, uh, we, we, we didn't make a living with our brain, we made a living with our back, right? And uh, for some of us, it's a good thing we didn't have to use our brain. Uh, but uh, so we come from different uh, socioeconomic situations. Yet here, Jesus has called us to this church And he's called us to ministry. He's called us to service here at New Life and said, okay, folks, I want you to work together. I want you to learn to get along and I want you to work together. We have, we've been talking about this new ministry opening up uh, starting this month. This coming Tuesday night at 6.30, we're having our first meeting of the missions team. We're going to put together a missions team and it's going to be totally different than what a traditional ministry, uh, missions ministry is in a church. We are going to be talking uh, about uh, talking with our foreign missionaries and connecting with them and finding out what we can do to help them. But we're going to be looking at local ministry opportunities, getting involved in our community, ways that uh, we can uh, reach out to our community with the intent and the purpose of, of building the kingdom of God, reaching people with the love of Christ, winning them to Jesus Christ, bringing them into church and discipling them. We may, hold on to your hats, man. We may even partner with some other churches. Uh, I know, revolutionary, right? To, to do some things that um, would benefit our community and help build the kingdom of God. Because it's not about the kingdom we build here for ourselves. It's about building the kingdom of God. So we're look, looking at what meekness is, and what meekness does. So let's jump into this and start talking about what meekness is. I have five descriptives. What I believe the Bible teaches us meekness is. Let me just give you this kind of overview. Meekness is willful submission of all that we are to all that God is so that we can be all that we can be. Okay? Meekness is willful submission of all that we are to all that God is so that we can be all that we can be. I hope that starts to break, break through 
and maybe even change the narrative. If you uh, have seen Meek as, you know, you're going to be this milk toast kind kind of person that is a doormat and everybody walks all over you. That's not what it's about. Meekness is being willing to put yourself under the authority and the leadership of Jesus Christ first. Once you do that, and, and once that is the passion of your life, you won't have that much difficulty surrendering yourself to ministry needs and places that you are, are, uh, are able to be used. So the first thing that I see about meekness is this. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is power under control. We all have power. We all have the ability to live our own lives. We all have the ability to lead our own lives. We all have the ability to provide for ourselves and our family. We all have the ability and the power within us to live a successful human life, correct? People do it all the time. The world does it all the time. People are successful in this life on their own power. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to take all that I have given you, all the blessings, all the abilities, all the talents that I've given to you, and I want you to surrender them to me. I, I don't want you to give them up, but I want you to surrender them to me. Why? Because when your power is in the control and under the control of Jesus Christ, great things can be done through you for the kingdom of God. Amazing things can be done through you for the kingdom of God. But your power has to be under the control of God's power. What I'm saying is that you give up your right, you give up your control, and the big one, you give up your process. Okay, you give up your right, you give up your control, and you give up your process for his. He says, come together and read, read my word every day. I want you to, I want you to feed. We're going to be talking about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness here in a couple of weeks. Jesus says, I want, I want to speak to you every day through my word. And I don't want you to just read so that you get your religious fix for the day. I say, uh, he says, I want you to pray before you dig into the word, and I want you to ask for wisdom. You ever had those times in your devotional life, in your, in, your, in your quiet time, where you can't get past one verse? Where you read and it's like, wow, wait a minute. You, try, you even try to read on, but you just keep being drawn back. You know, that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I've got something for you here. I've got, but, but we, man, we have, to, we have to finish what we start, right? I've, I've got to read this Bible through in a year, so if I get behind today... That's, that's going to add four more chapters to tomorrow's five. And, whoa, I, I don't know if I can catch up like that. It's not about quantity. It's not about you fulfilling your plan. It's about listening to the Holy Spirit and being surrendered and submissive to his leading in your life so that you will understand what he has for you. Perhaps that verse, if you happen to be a person that reads, uh, has your quiet time in the morning, Maybe the verse he's giving you, the truth he's giving you, is going to be something you need to get through your day. Because we all know that not every day is the same. And one day can be, you know, German chocolate cake and a glass of milk. And the next day can be a mud pie. 
right? Jesus says, do it my way. I know what's ahead. I know what you're going to face today. I know what you need. And if you will just surrender your your process to me, I guarantee you, I'll prepare you for what comes, what's coming down the, down the road for you. I may not change it. You may still have to go through that time. But I'm going to give you what you need to succeed. Tom Paul Wheeler said this, Meekness sounds wimpy, almost negative. If someone's meek, it sounds like they're a pushover, a doormat, a wimp. But here's the reality. True meekness exerts incredible power. There it is. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. It is softened hearts and toppled empires. It is a power that can't be countered. Man, when you, you know, you know what meekness does? Meekness for you brings you under the authority of Jesus Christ. When you submit to his authority, when you sit to, submit to his leadership and his power, now there's you. But imagine if an entire church of people submits themselves to the authority and leadership of God and gets on the same page of ministry. What can happen then? Man, we are a force empowered by God. I don't care what you think. I don't care who has what weapons. (laughs) The power of God cannot be defeated. And Howard Carter said this, meekness, listen to this, man, I love this quote. Meekness is hanging on the cross when you could have summoned legions of angels to destroy us all. Meekness is Jesus. Man, think about that. Just think about that. Jesus, the Bible says, was lowly, meek, and mild. Yet, he's also the guy that constantly sparred with the Pharisees, right? Constantly came back at the Pharisees. I mean, he hadn't, he, <laughs> he there, there's never, you don't, you don't see a time where Jesus is like, yeah, you Pharisees, you guys, you, you guys are the right ones, man. You're rah-rah Pharisees, right? He never said that. Jesus was always sparring with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, always going, going back at them. And as I said before, in the temple, Jesus is, he, listen, he didn't just flip over tables in the temple. Right? Remember what he did first? Remember what he did first? He made a, he made a whip. Exactly. He made a whip. I, I don't think Jesus made it just to kind of threaten people. I think he made it with the intent of using it. And he drove these guys. One man drove all these people out of the temple and flipped over their tables and completely disrupted their business. Yet he was meek. What does that tell me? Gentlemen, it tells me I don't have to give up my manhood to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, we need a few more good men. We need men who will stand up. We need men who will stand in their place and be men. I know, man, society is trying to destroy masculinity. They even have a, they even have a, a title for it, right? Those of us who believe in being what I would call real men, 
They call it toxic masculinity. Okay. I guess I'm toxic because I am raising, I raised one son to be a man, to stand. And listen, <laughs> I'll just say it right out, man. There's a difference between men and women. If you don't understand that, maybe we could have a biology class. Ladies, I'm not saying that you're the weaker sex. I'm not saying that you should be at home in the kitchen or, you know, June Cleaver uh, vacuuming the floor in high heels with a dress and pearls on. That's just not smart, okay? Uh, what I'm saying is you can be a real woman and your husband can be a real man at the same time. And in the church today, we need men to be men. We need fathers who will raise their sons to be men of God. We need mothers who raise their boys to be men of God. We need parents, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, who will work together to raise children to be the best them they can be for Jesus Christ. You do that by surrendering yourself, your purpose, and your process to the will of God. Don't make the mistake of thinking meekness is weakness. Meekness is power under the control of God. And what is so cool is there are times when Jesus says, okay, I'm going to unleash you now. I'm going to unleash you. And your purpose now is to go fight a battle that I've called you to fight. No longer do you have to bite your tongue. No, no longer do you have to uh, sit on the sidelines. No longer do you have to take it. You're going to fight this battle for me. But understand this about meekness. Just because you can strike back doesn't mean that you should. I think one of the great things, that one of the great components about meekness is that when you surrender yourself to Jesus and when you surrender your, your mind and your will and your purpose and your process to Jesus, he now begins to change your perspective, change your way of thinking, and some common sense comes into play and some biblical common sense comes into play. And whereas at one point in your life, you may have not allowed anybody to get away with anything, now, you wait for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say things. You ever been at the restaurant or out in public and somebody's having a conversation and it's something you don't agree with and you just, you just feel like, man, I got to say something. I got to say something. I want to ask you to raise your hands. Probably none of you do that. Uh, yes, my, my wife Erin is, if she ever asks you to go grocery shopping, don't go. Don't go. It's, it's a trap. Okay. She, man, she never met a watermelon she didn't want to have a conversation with. And she, she'll just, she just talks. She, she's coming down the hall now. Huh? Yep. Oops, I forgot, it. I forgot the TVs are on in the hallway. Uh, but your seat is over there, ma'am. Okay. All right. Um, but some, there's t there are times in life, there are times in life where even though you have a comment you want to make, it's best not to make that comment. Let's bring it into the, into the modern age on social media. You ever, ever put a post out there 
And you just knew this was going to be, because we all measure our worth now by likes, right? Once you hit those triple digits, now you're really making progress. You put a post out there and nobody says anything. Uh, except that really whacked out friend you have that agrees with, like, the world is flat. You know, men never went to the moon. You know, all that stuff. And then you think a little bit more and you go hit delete, right? Just because you can strike back doesn't mean that you should. Proverbs 16.37 says, Patience is better than power, and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Meekness doesn't seek out suffering, but it doesn't shy away from it. Meekness, meekness endures the temporary to accomplish the eternal. Nowadays, nothing is fair. We have four kids in our house right now, and I will say this with two of them here. Life isn't fair. It's not fair. It's never going to be fair. We just got a minivan yesterday. Listen, I got it so it'll fit you four back there. I don't care where you sit. Not assigned seats, right? Just get in the vehicle. My gosh. Just get in, sit down. I'll figure out. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. Whoa. Nice thing about this van is everybody's back there. And we control the volume, so we just turn it up. What'd you say? I can't hear you. It's a really good song. Now, now I know why they put DVD players in these vehicles. Absolutely, man. Life isn't fair. You know, we laugh and joke about that, right? Life isn't fair. But some of you are still struggling with the fact that your childhood wasn't fair. And I'm not talking that you didn't have the new Xbox. I'm not talking that you didn't get a cell phone before your friends. Talk about the fact that the family you were raised in was far less than functional. And what you are experiencing in life right now is a reflection of the way you were brought up. And you are broken. Broken in ways that many people can't even imagine. And Jesus says to you, I understand that. Bring your brokenness to me and I can heal that. If you surrender your process to me, I'll teach you why life isn't fair and I'll teach you how to endure an unfair life. Life isn't fair. It's never going to be fair. Listen, when you come to church, you may not think it's fair that some people are gifted in a way you're not, right? Some people have the most beautiful voices in the world. Let me, let me be very honest. I've been pastoring here for almost 20 years. You know how many times I've led worship in this church? Once. Once, and that was a special night, a special worship night, and like at the, in the last 10 minutes, everybody that could sing called and said they couldn't be here. Like, holy cow. All right, I, I, got, I got up there. It was ugly. We endured it. 
And I, I hear people sing. I hear our worship team sing. And I would love to just open my mouth and allow and, and hear beautiful, beautiful words come out and a beautiful tone. I'd love it. I'd love to be able to sing. I'd love to be able to do this. I can't even say the words. I'd love to be able to play an instrument. But there's just a, a, a disconnection. I wasn't gifted that way. So I could, I could say, Jesus, it's not fair. It's not fair that you know, cer- certain people get all the, all the good gifts, all the fun gifts, right? Man, why don't you stop worrying about life not being fair and start surrendering your will and purpose and process to Jesus and allow him to show you how amazingly gifted you are in the areas he's called you to minister in. And once you find where you are gifted and once you are able to put those gifts into practice in ministry, <laughs> the fact that life is fair is gonna be a, dis- life isn't fair, is gonna be a distant memory. Because you're going to be accomplishing great things for the kingdom of God. Wilson David said, the meek are strong in God's sight for they are submissive to the divine will and thus enabled by God's might. Just because, we've already talked about this, just because you can speak doesn't mean that you should speak. Just because you can speak doesn't mean that you should speak. And when you speak, it's not the time for you to go on a rant and tell everybody what you think about it. I've I've, uh, been in churches where pastors allow men to get up and speak, and they haven't been called to preach. And I'm not, I'm not slamming anybody, but haven't been called to preach. They can't speak in front of people. They don't know how to prepare. And they, and they just get up there and they just rail on things. Just rail on it. And it's all a pet peeve that they're getting off their chest. Well, just because you were given the opportunity doesn't mean that now you have to take the chance that you've always wanted to say what you're going to say. Sometimes you just need to swallow those words and keep them inside. You know who the best person to say those things to is? Jesus. Go to him and talk to him and tell him how unfair life, and I'm not being sarcastic or wise. Tell him how unfair your life is. Tell him how you feel. Tell him why you wish you had, and and just let him heal you from the inside out. James 1, 19, 19 and 20 say, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Check this last part out. Verse 20, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. You may not like it. It may not be the way you want to do it, but that doesn't mean you go behind people's back. That doesn't mean you manipulate the situation. That doesn't mean you undermine authority out of your anger or frustration because your anger and frustration is not accomplishing the will of God. Listen, folks, can I, can I just drop a truth bomb on everybody here? You don't know the best way to do everything. You just don't. What you're talented and gifted in, what you're smart in, what God has gifted you in the area of ministry, you might be the authority there. There's a reason here in this church why we have a finance team. And it's because 
That's not my wheelhouse. Nor do I want it to be. Other pastors, man, they can, they can juggle everything. I have no desire to be involved in the finances. None. I, I'll, I'll direct the path of the church. I'll put a, a, a purpose out there. I'll talk with the deacons and we'll get some things out there. And I'll, I, I will spend the money that needs to be spent. But man, I don't know. I don't want to know who gives. I don't want to know how much you give. That doesn't matter to me. I don't want to be a part of it because I'm not gifted that way. There are other people who have a passion for working in the financial parts of things. Great, man. I believe God has blessed you and given you that gift to do those kind of things. And just because you can act doesn't mean that you should act. Psalm 37, 8 says, Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Just because you can act doesn't mean you should. Just because you can do these things doesn't mean you should. Doesn't mean it's God's plan. Doesn't mean that God has opened a door for you to lambaste somebody with your opinion. Maybe, just maybe, God wants us to be quiet before him and allow him to speak to us. And maybe he's bringing those thoughts to your head and those, those thoughts to your heart because you really have them inside in the dark corner that nobody sees and he wants you to put the light on that so that you can get that dysfunction out of your life. Or maybe he's saying, listen, I know where this comes from. This comes from this secret pain that you don't want to admit. And if we're going to move forward, if we're going to take, if you and I are going to go to the next step of spiritual growth, we have to deal with this. I was talking with somebody this week, and I said, even today, even in my life, at 59 years old, man, God is still revealing things to me that need healing in my life. God is still revealing things to me that I need to deal with. Because I act this way, and I have these feelings, and I have... I. I may not say anything. I may not put a text or a tweet out about it. Or, uh, uh, I don't tweet, but uh, put a post out about it. I may not have a conversation about it, but I sure do think about it. And you know what I'm talking about. Those things in your life that dominate your mind, right? Those things in your life, those things from your past, that just uh, things that other people do that just drive you crazy because you can't get the idea of revenge or giving them a piece of your mind out of your mind. What God is saying is, listen, be slow, to be slow to speak and swift to hear because that's the way I'm going to be able to teach you. And that's what meekness is. Yes, yes, you can. Man, you can give everybody in your life a piece of your mind. You can tell them exactly what you think about them. You can rake them over the coals and they might deserve it but it's not your place. Not if you're a meek child of God. Maybe, just maybe, he's saying, listen, I want to fix this in you so you can help me fix this in them. And you can speak from a place of personal experience to their pain. Second thing I see about meekness is this. Meekness is humility. Meekness is humility. To be meek is to accept our strengths and limitations for what they truly are. 
instead of constantly trying to portray ourselves in the best possible light. Nobody does that, right? But it also does not, doesn't mean that we should deny our strengths and abilities. There is a lot to be said for being self-aware, for being comfortable in your own skin. I love it when, when uh, people make fun of me for being bald, right? Like, you do realize that I shave this. Okay, now I do, on the top, I don't have a lot on the top, but I shave this. I like it. I like it this way. When, when the girls moved into our house, I showed them some pictures, a couple pictures, of me with hair, and they're like, ugh. <laughs> Not exactly the response I was looking for, but... The boys, when they see pictures of me, because this iteration of Chase children don't know anything but a bald head and a gray goatee. <laughs> Thanks. Right? And I kind of laugh about it. And I kind of joke about it. And I've got little comebacks here and there. But you, listen, man, you say what you want. I don't care. I'm very comfortable in who I am. Very, 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 uh, very confident and very comfortable in my own skin. I've, I've put those self-image things behind me. Doesn't mean I don't want to be healthy. Doesn't mean that I don't want to lose some weight. But I'll tell you, man, if they had a shot or a pill that I could take that would regrow hair, I might take it, but I'd still shave it. I'd, I like it this way, right? It's like, it's like the old football helmets. It's all leather now. My point is this, it's a beautiful thing when you are comfortable in your own skin, when you know who you are in Jesus, when you know that he created me this way for a very special purpose. Now, I might still be looking for that purpose. He might still be leading me down the road to bring me to that purpose, but God has created me in such a way that he will use me to the most uh, perfect and fulfilling and complete ministry and life that he has for me. But I must accept who I am and what I am. Romans 12, 3 says, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly. As God has distributed a measure of faith, to each one. First Peter 3, 4, I was just quoting that, this one at our, in our home this morning. First Peter 3, 4, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of an inner self, the unfolding beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know what that says? God looks on the heart, not on the outside. That doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. Right? That doesn't mean that you dress in a, in a way that isn't, you know, whatever. Your true beauty is not on the outside. Your true beauty in God's eyes is on the inside. A meek and a gentle spirit. That's what he loves. Why? Because that's the way he was when he was here. And that's the way he is now. 
Did you, ever want, did you ever realize that God doesn't deal with you the way you probably deal with other people? And yet you deserve that? You deserve the way, uh, what you do and how you treat people really deserves a, a, a response in kind. But he doesn't treat you that way. Because he's meek and he's mild and he loves you and he cares about you and he wants the best for you and he knows what's best. And even in his chastening, even in, his, even in the way that he um, rebukes us, it's for our good. There's a lesson to be learned there, parents, for the way we raise our children. We don't, we don't punish our children simply because we, punish, because we want to punish them, simply because they deserve it. There needs to be a purpose in punishment, right? There needs to be a purpose. You're, you're building character. You're, you're trying to instill integrity in your children as you, as you do what you're doing because nobody wants to raise that kid, right? <laughs> the third thing, now this might sound a little weird and I'll be honest with you, I kind of struggled with this one as I was preparing and I had it just the opposite until um, I really dug into it and prayed about it and thought about it and meditated on it. Meekness is unreasonable. Meekness is unreasonable. Originally, it was meekness was reasonable. And as I started to dig into it and prepare and, and look for scriptures, I realized, geez, John, you've got this all wrong. Meekness is unreasonable. Well, let's be honest. We're to model ourselves and pattern ourselves after Jesus, correct? We're supposed to love others with the love that he loves us. We're supposed to be as close to him and, and we're supposed to represent him on earth, the closest we can possibly do it here on earth. But let's be honest. God's plan for salvation isn't reasonable. I right, Please, hear me out on this. <laughs> I know it was the only way. I know there was no other sacrifice. I know there was no other way that God could, uh, that, that, that the sacrifice could be made to justify the, uh, the payment for sin before a holy God. But God's plan for salvation isn't reasonable. It's not safe. We just sang about the reckless love of God, right? Against all reason, God's plan put his son Jesus on a cross to die for the sins of humans. And here's the unreasonable part. To die for the sins of humans who might or might not accept his sacrifice. That's unreasonable. You don't go all in. We, we don't go all in unless it's a sure thing, right? The love of Jesus Christ, the love of God went all in on the cross hoping that humanity would turn to him. In fact, the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus died so that every human being has the opportunity to turn to God and accept his gift of salvation. But not everybody has. Not everybody will.
I think God's plan is shrewd and it's win-win. He gets his children back, as many as will receive him, and we get eternal life. We follow a God that we cannot see or meet. Here's the unreasonable part of our meekness. We follow a God that we can't see or meet with or talk to face to face. Isn't that just what we've been talking about for the last two years? If you live in East Long Meadow, you have kids in the East Long Meadow system. This is, this is vacation week. I can say it. This is like the most useless vacation week in the history of the world. We're the only, I think we're the, this area is the only part of the country, I think, that does a February vacation. Anyway, the great blessing at the end of February vacation here in East Long Meadow is the first day back of school, masks are gone. Man. And in East Long Meadow, masks are gone as of the 28th. And when you can schedule the end of a pandemic, guess what? It's over. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great to see kids in school being able to get back to some semblance of normalcy. But for these last two years, we haven't been able to have face-to-face -face conversations all the time. We haven't been able to say, I mean, remember, remember, it seems like a generation ago, but it was just last year, remember when you couldn't go out and have a cup of coffee with a friend? That was tough. Yet we are called as Christians to have a relationship with Jesus Christ where we can't sit down face to face with him. We can't sit down and have a conversation with him like I can with my wife. Yet he tells us that the relationship that we can build with him that is not face-to-face, -face, that is not across the table from each other, can be the most intimate, powerful relationship in our life. That's not reasonable, but that's God's way. And if we can get beyond the fact, because I've had so many people, maybe you've had it too when you talk to people, I just, I, prayer doesn't work for me because I can't talk to God and it just feels like he's not listening. That's not, re that's not the reasonable way. I mean, you wouldn't have done that when you started dating your spouse, right? Yet, that's God's way. You see what I mean by being willing to sacrifice our process for his? But to those of us who have put our faith in him, it's the most sane, competent decision of our lives. And while trusting a plan that we can't map out may be unreasonable, we know in our hearts that it's the right decision. It is good, it is smart, and it is peaceful because it pleases God. And that's what we're called to do. Please him in all that we do. I'm not called to be the best worldwide speaker. I'm called to please God with my life. I'm called to please God in all I do. And he says, if I will surrender and submit my will to his, my way to his, my process and purpose to his, he will take my small offering like 
the little boy with five biscuits and, and two fish. And he will make that and multiply that and allow me to be used to touch the lives and hearts of everybody he desires for me to be involved with. I'll tell you what, I'll take those odds. I'll, I'll take that unreasonable path. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is your true worship. This is what is your true worship? Giving your body as a living sacrifice. That's true worship. See, true worship... A form of worship is what we do here on Sunday mornings. A form of worship is driving your car, listening to worship music, maybe doing housework or do, doing work around your house or going to work or maybe playing Christian music wherever you are and, and singing praises to God or, or meditating on that. But he says the true, the deepest, the most powerful form of worship that you can express is when you surrender your body, your life, as a living sacrifice to my will. That's what I'm looking for. Quickly, meekness is confident. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, so don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done the God's will, you may receive what was promised. Weakness, meekness is confidence. Because we know, we know that God has promised that if we will surrender to him, he will do something with your life. You're not going to be the kid that sits on the bench all through Little League. You say, put me in coach. And he says, right now, right now, let's get you to work. And lastly, meekness is satisfaction. To live for Jesus as a meek follower is to be satisfied with him and his will, with your call and with your place in the kingdom. It's the idea of being grateful for being used rather than being offended or angry because of what you're called, to, what you aren't called to do. I think if we could get that down, that we, we don't have to be involved in everything. God hasn't called you to be involved in everything. Listen, I'm the pastor of the church, and God hasn't called me to be involved in everything. But he has gifted you and talented you in such a way that he has called you to do something for his kingdom. And you find that by surrendering your will and plan and purpose to his and allowing him to lead in your life. Meek people are satisfied with their gifts because they truly believe that God knows best and that his way is perfect. Psalm 1611, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Psalm 37, four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What does that mean? As Christians, we're not ladder climbers, folks. We're not ladder climbers. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not a guy that says I'm, I'm working here in this church 
until the next bigger church opens up so I can move to a bigger church and ultimately pastor a mega church just by moving up. God's called me to new life. God's called me to East Long Meadow. God's called me to the Springfield metro area. And he's gifted me in such a way that I can deal with that and I can accept that and I can handle that. And I can try to build, I try to carve lives out of stone for people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ right here in our town, right here in our region. Meekness is knowing that his way is better than yours and surrendering yourself to him and his way. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the privilege of your word, for the privilege of being able to come together and dig into the scriptures. God, thank you for the way you teach us. Lord, this, isn't, this is a hard, a hard truth to grab, Father. Especially, not just as men, but as Americans, God, because we're, we're taught to be responsible for ourselves, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and to make our own way. And, and Father, that's, that's great. It really is as long as we understand that the ability to do all that comes from you and we're surrendered to you, God, would you teach us what true meekness truly is? Would you show us, would you help us to understand it and practice it in our lives every day? Father, as we go from this place today, I thank you so much for those who were able to be out here, for those who joined us on Facebook. Lord, I pray that you'll bless each life, each family, Father, may we truly and honestly grasp what it is that you are wanting us to know. May we truly understand that when we go from here today, we're going out as worshipers and our lives are to be an offering, a sacrifice of worship and praise to you. And may we live that way every day. God, mold us in your, in your pattern this week. Give us the courage and the strength and the wisdom to walk through every open door. And may we return the praise and the glory of all that is done to you. For it's in your holy and precious name we pray and ask all these things. Amen.